0: Hello listeners, Uh, welcome to this last proper episode of Even the Trunchbull for the series. We're covering Matilda in this episode, at last, and so we just wanted to put a quick content note at the top that because it's something that characters in Matilda experience, we do touch on abuse, specifically the neglect and also physical abuse of children. There's all your, you know, Trunchbull-esque throwing children by their hair and stuff, which is played for laughs and where the children aren't really hurt. But when we go into Miss Honey's backstory, it gets quite dark. There is one particular incident which is described from Miss Honey's childhood at the hands of Miss Trunchbull, written as a traumatising moment and we do discuss that. Apart from that, there is no description of abusive acts although they are alluded to we think it's pretty well handled in the book and we hope that we handle the discussion okay but we thought we'd let you know hello and welcome to even the trunchbull our show about children's books and why we still love them as adults she's nina they're Matt.
1: And we think that children's books are for everyone, because we've all been kids. Even Even the the bull.
0: They're all mistakes, children. in nasty things. Glad I never was one.
1: From Roald Dahl's beloved Matilda, despite her protestations. Each episode we'll be reviewing one picture book and one chapter book. We're starting off with the books that we read as kids, but if you've got a book you'd like us to review, especially if you are currently a kid, please get in touch.
0: You can email us on eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com or catch us on Twitter at trunchbullpod. And this week we're reading about little girls with superpowers. We're going to get around to Matilda, finally, after two whole series of using her headmistress's name. Um, But first we're reading the lovely What's My Superpower by Aviak Johnston and illustrated by Tim Mack. Do you want to start us off about that? Tell us what it's about?
1: Yeah. Um, What's My Superpower is about a little girl um, living in, I mean, it's not specified, but we're guessing it's Quebec or uh, Newfoundland, it's sort of somewhere in northern Canada. And she is interested in superpowers, interested in finding out what her superpower is, and meanwhile is spotting what the superpowers of all of her friends and classmates are. So there's there's David who can run really fast she goes back to her mom, and nana and says david is so fast he was burning up the gym hall floor that must be a superpower i wonder what my superpower is going to be and then you know there's a kid who can hold their breath underwater for a really long time and and a kid who swings so high on the swings that it's like she's flying and every time uh this little girl the main narrator um nalvana that's right um, is saying, "Wow, you're really good at that. That must be your superpower." And then running back to a woman saying, "This is such and such a superpower. What's mine going to be?" And then at the end, she still hasn't figured out what her superpower is. But her mum sits her on her lap and says, "I think I know what your superpower is. Your superpower is seeing the good in everyone else. You can spot other people's superpowers." So, which is just really lovely, and it's you know you can mm. see it building up to that. It's really nice to have this story where, yeah, I think the way you put it when we were first chatting about it was like, like social skills is a skill.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I first read it, I was like, is this a bit disappointing for her that, you know, oh, you make other people feel good, but actually, and you know, personally as an autistic person, social skills are skills Yeah. and not everybody has them. And she's got them really good. I mean, she's not thinking about herself being like, oh, I wish I could do that. She's really good at seeing what other people are good at and then pointing it out to them and making them feel good. And that's a proper skill. And
1: she does it so well. I I feel like everyone knows one of those people who are just so good at making other people feel good. Yeah. And it really is, like, magic when someone is just properly good at that and, like, effortlessly good at that. And I think she's written really well through this kind of really short mm. story as a character for that because it's just so enthusiastic. Like, wow, you're really good at this. That This is the <laughs> thing that you're good at. Hold on to that. And these kids are kind of like, oh, wow, really? Do you think so? And she's like, yeah, no, I know so. Like, I've just watched you hold your yeah. breath underwater for, like, super, super long. Like, that's your thing. Um, and, like, those people go far, right? Like,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: I think those people are special. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's a proper skill. Um, so celebrating that is is a really nice thing. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And her mum's great as well.
0: Yes. Yes. She's like, you know, and when Nalvana comes to her and she's like, Mum, Mum, what's my superpower going to be? Like, she's just like, I don't know, let's wait and see. And, you know, she waits for this whole thing to play out. She doesn't disillusion Nelvana. She's not like, superpowers aren't real. She's like, oh, that's really interesting that you picked that up about your friend. That's really nice. And she encourages and only, her to
1: try out with the stuff as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah.
0: Um. And she only really comes in with an answer when Nelvana asks her.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. I'd not clocked that.
0: She's not jumping in and, like, shaping the narrative for Nalvana at all. Not until Nirvana asks for help, not until she shows some distress and is actually upset.
1: She lets her explore it. Yeah. And she encourages her exploring it. Like, there's yeah. um, one of the kids she meets is... Builds all these snow sculptures. Jonasy,
0: he's called, yeah.
1: Yeah, her cousin. And he can make Inuksuks. Yeah, yeah, builds Inuksuks, which... Um, well, it was lovely for me on a personal level. I, I went to I, I visited Quebec about three years ago, um, and and stayed with a dear friend, and uh, yeah, and 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 learned about Inuksuk. So there's these like stone structures, which are kind of like Cairns that you get in Scotland, mm. but often shaped like a sort of person with their arms outstretched. So it's kind of like two blocks for the legs and then a sort of torso and a little head and arms sticking out. It's kind of like a big part of Inuit culture and other kind of mm-hmm. Arctic circle cultures. And they reckon they were used possibly as kind of like wayfarer points in a sort of landmarkless landscape. Yeah. yeah. So they're kind of pointing the way or
0: mm-hmm. they're
1: markers for where things are, like where a food store mm-hmm. is or something. Um, so it was lovely for me. I'd already been reading it. As I say it's not sort of specifically set, but I was like, ah, this is this is Canadian, isn't it? This is quite specifically like northeastern Canada, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: I think the narrator is a a sort of first people's narrator. She um,
0: definitely is, yeah.
1: On yeah. purpose. Um, which is really lovely. Um, but yeah, so the kid who's building these, Nirvana runs back to her moment and says, "Na na na. Um this kid was amazing at building things. Like, maybe that's my superpower. I've never tried building things. And our mum's just like, oh, well, let's try it out then. Yeah, like, you've yeah. got some building blocks, give it a go. And she's no good at it. But, like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Her mum's like, well, yeah. yeah, give it like, give it a go. Try these things there's out.
0: There's also, um, with Jonasie and the building, there's an element of um, heredity with the superpower. So, Nalvana comes back to her mum and tells her all about Jonas' building, and she goes, oh, yeah, do you know that's his dad's superpower as well? Uh, His dad does all this building, and then when he grows up, he's going to do these buildings too.
1: Oh, that's interesting. This this intergenerational thing. That's quite interesting. That some
0: superpowers are inheritable, you know? Which kind of, yeah. kind of
1: makes sense. It kind of makes sense because I mean, I suppose it's upbringing. Like I, d- I don't think yeah. it's like I don't I wouldn't ascribe to it being like in the blood or whatever. But like you often get like children of famous actors or famous footballers yeah. grow up to yeah. be likewise. But I guess like you, you're surrounded by that culture and someone who's really good at that thing, mm. um, who's like your kind of teacher for the first bit of your life. I guess it makes sense.
0: But, also, from the superpower point of view, it's a bit like the Incredibles, you know, like
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: people with yeah. superpowers make people with superpowers,
1: yeah, <laughs> so do we think Nirvana's mum is also has this superpower of making other people feel good?
0: Oh, definitely, I mean, at least she does with Nirvana, right,
1: like Absolutely. it's a very
0: gentle influence. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. The illustrations by Tim Mack are really cute as well, aren't they? They're, really They're lovely. lovely, yeah. They're colourful.
1: It almost looks a little bit like, kind of, almost like collage. It looks like sort of people made mm. out of kind of little paper shapes kind of thing.
0: Um, yeah. So we were talking about, like, the way that it's clearly an Inuit story. So, Aviak Johnston is an Inuit person. Right. Um, she she first wrote a YA book that won a bunch of prizes including one for Inuit and First People's Literature Mm. and then her publisher asked her to do a picture book and she was like oh I don't know it's not really my thing and then she saw this video of her friend's kid and she was wearing this big helmet and these big goggles and this cape and she says I'm a superhero but I don't know what my superpower is
1: that's great And
0: and she was like I'm having that. So Obviously, she asked her friend. And her friend said, yes, do it, but use the name Nalvana. That's my kid's grandmother. So that's Uh, why they're using the name Nalvana. And I like that this clearly isn't primarily written for white children because there's no explanatory comma when they come to, like, an Inuit word, which there are a few scattered through. There's a glossary at the end, but it doesn't interrupt the story to explain it. Mm -hmm. So it sort of expects, you, you know, probably you, the reader... May well be an Inuit kid. I'm not going to explain to you your culture.
1: Sure, yeah. yeah.
0: It's, it's mainly by and for Inuit people. Um, She said that she wanted to write a modern Inuit story because everybody thinks of them as, like, these people in fur coats sure. sitting in igloos, yeah. whereas they haven't been like that for <laughs> like, generations. She just wanted uh, to show it, the way it is now, you know, yeah. people living in houses, <laughs> you know, and have, like, yeah. plastic coats. But obviously there are still elements of the culture that are being passed down, you know, with like the language and with
1: the building of Inukshuks and stuff. Yeah, and it's and it's kind of lovely, I think, like right at the beginning, it sort of sets up quite a subtle but quite definite kind of defence for um, living in the sticks. Yes. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like Nalvana loved her hometown where there weren't cars coming yeah. past like big monsters and she could play in the street and she could play ice mm-hmm. hockey and in the road and it's open an image is kind of like this is the best place yeah. to live yeah. this is a dream place to grow mm. up like it's it's this really like nice soft kind of celebration
0: mm-hmm. i like the names as well the, the names of a lot of the kids are traditional inuit names that's really nice
1: so there's a bit of a mix yeah. which i think is quite cool yeah it's it's gorgeous it does you know it does everything that you want a kid's book to do like Nice pictures, nice, easy story. Um, It sort of gives you kind of rule of three and then a couple more, but it doesn't feel like it drags. It's, you know, it's episodic. You kind of, you can anticipate the structure as you go, but it's kind of full of character. It's full of like curiosity and enthusiasm. Um, It's lovely. Yeah, it's a really, really lovely story.
0: Are you ready to move on to Matilda? Let's. So I think we should give... Um, a synopsis of this one because it's quite its long enough to like of course if you're listening to this podcast and you aren't familiar with the story of Matilda where have you been? <laughs> yeah <laughs> But maybe you're not
1: And also the title and the introduction must make no sense So Matilda is a girl who is ignored by her parents, goes to a school that is run by this raging bully of a headmistress
0: tyrant yeah
1: absolute yeah. tyrant and eventually becomes so angry that she discovers that she's got superpowers and she can like move things with her eyes and then kind of saves the day with yeah. those powers um and finds a sort of happy ever after mm. is a kind of nutshell
0: shall we talk about our namesake then miss Trunchbull?
1: I guess a, a kind of classic kids' book thing, particularly mm. kids' books that are a bit older, definitely a classic rule doll thing is that, yeah, like character is implied through physical appearance. Yes. So Miss Trunchable is big and huge and not necessarily fat, but hench. And yeah. I think is actually described as a bit mannish.
0: Yes, she point. is. Um, like really big hands and things.
1: And she's got like a horsey face, yeah. and she works out. She used to be an Olympic hammer throw.
0: <laughs> and she's uh, got calves like grapefruits in her socks. I love that yeah. line.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, what my yeah. car
0: are like.
1: <laughs> and that's kind of that on its own. You think, okay, fine. Yeah. But then we have Miss Honey, who, for anyone who doesn't know the story, is is the nice teacher. Mm. Um kind of like really problematic in the book, but we'll get onto that. But yeah, Miss Honey is the, you know, she's the mentor to the protagonist. She's like the good angel. And like the description of her straight away is like, she's sort of frail. And I think it's something like, um, you know, so thin and feeble. It looks like you could snap her like a twig. Yeah. Um, And couldn't be any more than 23 or 24. And like, isn't explicitly sexualized, but it I is I mean, there. it is.
0: It, it come right? on, like, like it's
1: very sort of
0: Roald like, oh, Look at this dainty write her little thing without saying how tiny and breakable and beautiful she is. Yeah, uh, this this time round reading it made me very uncomfortable. I feel like you know, calm down, rolled. <laughs> how old yeah, are you writing this twenty-three-year-old? Kind
1: of, I know it's a bit kind of have a cold shower in yeah. it, like. Yeah. Well, and that, um, that,
0: that fragility and that sort of frail femininity and that weakness almost, and she does refer to herself as weak, is like signifying her goodness and is a massive contrast to the Trunchbull.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think what it steps over the line da- or dangerously close to without again without explicitly saying it is that it's playing the, the idea of virginal beauty for me yeah like you know there's this sense of like untouched and pure mm-hmm. and um which then becomes increasingly problematic because like miss honey has been like severely abused
0: yes yeah
1: like the book is it really kind of is a story about abuse
0: Yes, and I think surprisingly, I don't know, like it handles it quite well. In that, so well apart from the fact that Miss Honey decides to disclose to a five-year-old in the first place, which is dodgy. <laughs> I mean, I, Miss
1: Honey is not cool in the book. Uh, like I mean, it was really upsetting. I think upsetting. you can forgive
0: her, but she does do this thing which really bothered me. So after. Um Matilda discovers her powers by tipping a glass of water with a newt in it over um, the Trunchbull's chest with her eyes. Um, she confesses to Miss Honey and shows Miss Honey that she can do it. And then they go back to Miss Honey's house to like, have a chat about it. And Miss Honey sort of talks herself into disclosing her history of abuse and family relationship to the Trunchbull by s- telling herself and telling Matilda, which is worse... You are a child, but you're sort of not a child. You're like an adult child. And maybe that's why I'm compelled to tell you about this. And I mean, I know that she, need, like, Matilda needs to know this information so that Matilda can, like, bring it home and have, like, the glorious, magical revenge moment. But that moment of disclosure and that justification for it from Miss Honey, I mean, it, it's right. It plays right into the adultification of children, right? Like.
1: Yeah, yeah. The thing yeah.
0: is, like, Matilda is extraordinarily well read within a very narrow white canon and she's very clever but she's still a five year old like prodigies aren't like adults they still only have five years of experience on this earth and they still need to be protected I I don't think Roald Dahl did this on purpose I think he had to sort of justify Miss Honey telling her and to be fair to Miss Honey she immediately realizes it was a bad idea
1: It's really kind of gets under your skin reading it Mm. because there's a lot that she doesn't say. She keeps saying, oh, I I really don't want to talk about it. There was lots of awful stuff. I mean, yeah, there was this one time when I was five when she'd make us bathe myself and would come in. And if I wasn't clean enough, she'd hold my head under the water. But that wasn't the worst thing. I don't want to tell you about the worst thing. And you're like, Jesus, what was the worst thing? And then on the walk home, like Matilda's just like really quiet. Mm. And like Miss Honey's a bit sheepish and is like, um, uh, Are you okay? And Matilda's like, Yeah. I guess if there is like an aim for that as an author, like showing Matilda as like a child who has the ability to render adults around her utterly childish. Yeah. Yeah. Is really interesting. It's you know, she has this kind of not just cleverness but maturity. But as you say, is still a five year old but is aware of herself as a five-year-old, you very much get the sense from Matilda that she's <laughs> like, it's really not okay that you've told me these things, but like, Hey, you've done it now. Like yeah. we're still cool, I guess, but that, <laughs> well, was, that was messed prods, up. And
0: she prods, right? Like when she like, she does, does this faux yeah. naive thing about, Oh, it must be lovely to be so poor. You've got no stuff. So, um, you don't Miss Holly's
1: house. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, this is weird now, right? Like you've not, you've, You've finished school, you've not, like, told her parents or any adults where you go in, and you're taking her back to, like, your little cottage, which turns out to be, like, a just huddle. so bleak. Like, yeah. there is, she's got, a, like, a callagast, how she's not burned the thing down, she's got a paraffin cooker on a shelf... She eats nothing but bread and margarine, (laughs) not butter, which is why Matilda knows she's poor, which is hilarious. She gets her water out of a well and, like, washes herself in the basin, having heated the water over a paraffin cooker. But it's the fact that she's just, like, she's leading this kid literally up the garden path.
0: Yeah, okay. So I think we're going a bit hard on Miss Honey, and to be fair to her, I think she regains a very appropriate role after that moment. So in that, like, for example, at the end, so she moves Matilda out of her class and into the top year, which means she's not her teacher anymore, which means they're able to have a more friendly or familial relationship. And then she comes over for tea after school and they just have these wonderful conversations, which seems really nice. And then when Matilda and, you know, showing that she is a child is completely freaked out by her family packing up and threatening to go. Miss Honey's very calm, and she's like, I'm sorry, I did think this might happen. You know, like, I'm not that surprised. And she's like, if you knew, why didn't you tell me? She's like, I didn't know, but this is what happens. And she's like, can I stay with you? And she says, if I have the consent of your parents, then of course. You know, like, and then they go, and they get the parental consent, and they're like, whatever, one less mouth to feed, (laughs) because they're terrible. The
1: ending is crazy. Yeah. It's literally like, Matilda <laughs> gets back from Miss Honey's house, and everyone's packing. like throwing stuff into suitcases, <laughs> and her dad's like, we're leaving, we're going to the airport in half an hour, pack your stuff. G- it's just like, where are we going? We're going to Spain. When we're coming back, we're not, we're going to Spain, we're going forever. So she pelts it back to Miss Honey's house, it's an eight minute walk and she does it in four, Right and says, Miss Honey, Miss Honey, my parents are leaving. Yeah. Um, And then as you say, Miss Honey's like, oh I'm not surprised like everyone knows that your dad's a crook like he's probably been getting stolen cars for the last however many years and the police Mm. have caught up with him and he's going to Spain like all the rest of them do. So Matilda's like, but like I don't want to go. And Miss Honey's like, well you kind of have to. Like Like They have a right to take you with them. They have a right to take you. And then she's like but what if I can stay and you know, Miss Honey's like, yeah, with consent, I'd love that. Let's not rush anything. Matilda's like, well, no, nah, like, they're leaving now. <laughs> so they, like, pelt it back. Yeah. And they're like, Mum, Dad, can I stay with Miss Honey? And they're, like, putting stuff in the car. And it's kind of implied that it's like, oh, well, we haven't got a seat for her anyway because this yeah. suitcase has to go in the back because <laughs> there's no room in the boot. And the mum's just like, oh, yeah, whatever, let us her stay here. And the dad's like, yeah, sure. and then it's the, And then that's the end of the book. Yeah. Yes, I think you're right. I think miss honey it like is still one of the heroes this book yes absolutely i kind of feel like both those things the ending and the portrayal of miss honey leads us on to like obviously last week we had quite a lot of talk about film versus book adaptation
0: yeah
1: um quite a lot of disagreements i feel like we're going to be more on the same page with this we agree
0: the film adaptation of this is brilliant it's really really good
1: i think the film tells the story a lot better Really? As a story, yeah.
0: They've adjusted the pacing quite well, because the pacing yeah. of this book is weird. So you think of it as this story <gasps> about so Matilda strange. resisting the Trunchbull, but Matilda doesn't even start going to school until the second half of the book. You've got a really slow Yeah, the first half first of the book half. is
1: basically, it's basically George's Marvelous Medicine meets the Twits, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so she's... Like, it's
1: Matilda doing pranks it, on her parents. It
0: introduces you to Matilda as the reader of books. Oh, here's something else I wanted to talk about. Like, people of colour were not invented in the 90s. Like, he... Like, do you remember the bit where um, you see the list... So young Matilda goes to the library every day and Miss Phelps helps her picks up, pick out books and then you get a list of all the wonderful books yeah. that Matilda has read, I think probably in an effort to, like, m- make you impressed With her reading ability yeah um and also it's interesting because Roald Dahl's making the point that her reading makes her more empathetic and broadens her world view but every single book in that list is written by a white (laughs) person and all but two are written by men and
1: uh, not often colonialists as well you
0: know I was really like I don't know it really stood out to me this time like
1: She'd travel to India with Kipling.
0: Yeah, and have you read Kipling on India? It's so racist. (laughs) It's incredibly racist. Of course
1: course it is. Of course it is.
0: (laughs) But not even like subtly. Like this book, which just doesn't seem to have any people of colour in it, even though there were definitely people of colour living in English villages whenever this is set. This is also something they did better in the film, is they cast more widely and more diversely, although all the main characters are still white people. Lavender is a little black girl, and I think portrayed beautifully by the actress, that's she's really endearing and clever. Um, And then it sort of shows you her home life and how her parents don't care and how she decides to deal with that by pranking them. And there's this series of fun pranks, and each prank gets a whole chapter, which means we're halfway through the book when she starts. And then, then, like, so the first Thursday of the school year... Matilda realizes she has powers she spends one week practicing her powers next Thursday Trunchbull comes back and Matilda gets her and then her powers go away and then kind of the book ends so in the book she's got powers for only a week and I feel like they they, um they elongated that in the film so they had her powers come on much sooner when she's at home and I don't think they have them go away at the end
1: no no they don't they she keeps her powers but like uses them for good Like you've got that lovely image of like Matilda reading to Miss Honey in bed and then um, summoning a chocolate over (laughs) from the box on the other side of the room with her eyes, Um, which is just lovely.
0: Yeah, Um, but I kind of like that the powers are more boundaried in the book because Miss Honey gives a very credible explanation for them that so they're triggered off by this huge sense of injustice in Matilda because Miss Trunchbull is accusing her of having done something she hasn't done. And so Mm. then she feels the heat building up behind her eyes and then the little invisible arms come poking out of her eyes and, like, push the glass over. So she discovers Mm. the men, and then she practices for a bit. But then once, like, her situation's improved and she's not so frustrated and not so penned in, once school is actually at a level... Where it's challenging her. Like, mm. her brain isn't boiling over and pushing out of her eyes anymore. Like, it's sort mm. of, mm. it's explained as a sort of an overflowing, a bubbling of like a frustrated mind. And now that she's not frustrated anymore, she can go back to being a normal child. And she's not yeah. this like weird boxed in explosive thing yeah. anymore. And I like that. She better. doesn't need
1: an overflow tap anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And she doesn't need to protect herself that way anymore because she's being protected by Miss Honey.
1: Let's talk about how Miss Trunchbull has never been fired from, like, what is, <laughs> <laughs> do we need to address this or are we just putting this down to like, sure, that's the story? Because I get that, like, Miss Honey's never challenged her because it's like, you know, fear of an abuser that's still in your life. But other teachers are just Mm, like, like she's
0: literally throwing kids. Like, teachers get to go on for ages, though. They do. I mean, obviously, she's really cartoonish, you know, like, really, teachers can't pick up children by the hair and throw them. But people do mistreat children in schools, and schools are often really oppressive structures. Like, yeah. I'm. I'm not that surprised she hasn't been fired before. Like plenty of like figures of authority in oppressive structures get away with stuff for years, especially yeah, because yeah. it's really funny that um, the kids like, oh, they know she can't hit us, but she can throw us out the window. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, It's interesting, is it? Because I I guess that Rural Dolls writing at a time that's sort of not long after the abolition of. Mm. Um, Corporate Corporal punishment. punishment
0: Yeah
1: And the, and it's very sort of like Miss Trunchbull's like Clearly itch and just hit him Yeah But, but she, she can't So she so does she... all these
0: Creative violence things
1: But I mean Like But you can't she be allowed To do that either But she like
0: Well the way that Matilda Justifies it Is like She's so outrageous That no one would ever believe us
1: Yeah which That is really interesting yeah. Actually That is really interesting
0: Yeah Who are you um, going to tell Who's going to believe you that she yeah, threw yeah, a yeah. girl by her pigtails into like the sports field.
1: Yeah, so it is. I mean, you know, it, it potentially it's it's kind of a really clever book because the whole book is kind of about abuse. Hmm. There's the bits that are really transparent with that, but the whole thing, like even that, there was fear tactics and the kind of the kids policing themselves to go along with. You know, so the there's this glorious of theme
0: of the children punching back and fighting back, which they also played down in the film. Like in the film only Matilda resists, really. But when Matilda joins the school in the book, this older girl, Hortensia, sort of inducts her into we resist and we mm-hmm. do stuff mm. to the Trunchbull. And like her and her little pal, Lavender, and they're five, and she's like, oh, you little titches, you can't do anything. They're like, yes, we can. Lavender decides to put a newt in like the trunchbull's yeah. water like all the children together seem to be united in resisting the trunchbull and this is really clear in the chocolate cake scene
1: Bruce Bogtrotter who's uh, a large child
0: Yeah the fat phobia is present like of course the child who steals the trunchbull's cake is going to be a round fat child
1: But to be fair to him
0: he's kind of a like, hero in this moment He is
1: kind of a hero yeah. like yeah, so he's nicked some cake from the Trunchbull's private study. Um, so Trunchbull sits him down in front of the whole school straight after lunch and says, you stole some some of my cake, didn't you? Would you like some more?
0: He's like, no, thank you. And she's like, no, you'll offend the cook. Have some more. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, go on. I'll have a little slice then. Thinking like, what's the catch of this going to yeah. be? And it builds up and builds up. And obviously the catch is then you must eat the whole thing without pausing. Like, yeah. every time he pauses, she, like, slams a riding crop on the desk and is like, keep yeah. eating! Yeah. Um, and it's like, you're going to eat this cake that's, like, bigger than you are. I think it's yeah. described as, like, 18 inches diameter or yes. something. And he has to eat the whole thing in front of the whole school. And um, everyone in
0: the audience, including Matilda and Lavender, are like, "Oh, he's going to be sick. It's going to be disgusting." But as he gets yeah. to about the halfway point, they see he's kind of picking up speed and momentum. He's getting into his performance, and yeah, it looks yeah, like he's yeah. going to make it. And then the whole school are rooting for him to manage to finish yeah. this cake. And it's a real like yeah, symbol yeah. of resistance that he does it, and it makes the trunchbull really angry that he manages it.
1: Oh, you've got your amazing quote that you want to do now, don't you?
0: Oh, uh, yeah. but like, she, So she gets really angry. She picks up the plate that the cake was on and, like, smashes it over his head, but it says he's so full of cake that he's like a sack of wet concrete and nothing could have hurt him in that moment, which I love. I mean, it's not true that eating cake protects you, but what if it did?
1: That's brilliant.
0: <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, Roald Dahl's food writing. So... Sure. The, the cake, even though it says that like Cook poured her blood, sweat and tears into the cake, still sounds delicious. She's like, it's good, isn't it? And Bruce is like, very good. And she's like, it's real butter and real cream. I don't give you this stuff in the canteen. It isn't the rubbish that I give children. It's a proper, really good cake. And so have you seen um, the books of Re- Roald Dahl's revolting recipes? No. Okay. So it spawned, I think, two books of recipes based off of rolled Dahl stories. And I got one from the library when mm. I was 13. And being the child that I was, I decided that for my, like, maybe I was 12, 12th or 13th birthday, I was going to like make a lunch of like rolled doll themed recipes. So my birthday cake was this chocolate cake and uh, I had like snores cumbers made out of cucumber. Um, yeah. and these from James and the Giant Peach, I had these like hot, like frog pastries with apple. Um, nice. and yeah, so the problem is that I didn't have any real friends then. So I made the like classic mistake of like inviting my frenemies around. The kids who right. I sort of hung out with, but were kind of mean to me. And there is especially this pair of kids, Um, I'll call them F and K in this to anonymize them because they were awful. And what I did to them was awful. Um <laughs> So they were awful. They came over. They were like riding their bikes in the neighbor's field and like flattening their crops. And they were tormenting my dog. And they were just being awful, awful guests. And I was really not enjoying them being there. And my mum was really not enjoying them being there either. And so we decided to take revenge on them in, like, quite a Matilda way. (laughs) We So everybody had had their lunch, people were running around outside, and me and mum were preparing the dessert, which was these hot frog pastry things. And on the plate of the worst boy, I just lifted up the apple slice and put in some cayenne pepper. I did this with my mother. Like, my mother was on side (laughs) for this revenge.
1: This doesn't surprise me at all. (laughs) I've met your mother. (laughs) This does not surprise me.
0: (laughs) So I put the lid back on and like called them in um, to lunch. And everybody else is tucking into these like perfectly normal, nice apple pastries. And then Kay starts choking. He's like, (laughs) sure, hot. And everyone's looking at him like, what do you mean? These are fine. You know, and everyone's eating theirs. And he's like, (laughs) so, you know, we pour him some water. And I, I made sure that he'd eaten all the cayenne pepper bits. Then I was like, Oh, I'll have it And I ate the rest and I was like, I really I don't know what you mean. These are completely fine.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. That is a proper rural doll revenge story. It was. Well it was done.
0: So, thank you.
1: Sticking on brand. I like it.
0: Matilda was really important to me as a kid. Um even with all its issues with, you know, like fat women and thin women and, like, masculinity and femininity and fatness and ugliness. I wanted to talk a bit more about, like, the politics of appearances and morality as appearances. So it's there's a lot of fat stuff, like virtue is thinness and youth and beauty and evil is a massive butch woman, unmarried and old and ugly and too strong and too manly but also there's some of that going on with the Wormwoods as well so like Mr Wormwood is shown as like sort of impotent and like useless by being like small and ratty compared to his big fat wife they haven't made her fat in the film but she's like quite fat phobically described in the book and it's Mm. all it's interesting Mm. because he it's almost like Roald Dahl wanted to disagree with himself when he has Miss Honey come around to talk to the wormwoods about matilda mrs wormwood says i chose looks you chose books but uh. then if you're going to make that point that like it's vapid to choose appearance over education you can't be making the representative of education this like beauty and miss Worm- mrs wormwood ugly like if you were really going to make that point why isn't Miss Honey sort of plain and fat and mousy and, like, whatever you were saying? I, th- I think
1: if we're being... Ca- I think if we're being kind to him, maybe what Roald Dahl's driving at here is that there's different kinds of beauty. There's the self-aware, self-conscious, self-constructed beauty, and Mrs. Wormwood is, like, clearly a very insecure person but is invested in being yeah. good-looking, so has all the products and has her hair dyed and the roots done. <sighs>
0: It's it's rubbish, Matt. It's like, it's so misogynistic. It's like, you should be beautiful, but you should not care about being beautiful. You should look completely natural and effortless. Like, you shouldn't ever be seen to be putting effort into your appearance, but also be really thin and beautiful and, like, virginal. Like, it's such rubbish.
1: I think Mrs. Wormwood's a really interesting character in the book, though, yeah. because she's, she's less directly neglectful hmm. than... Mr. Wormwood and less directly neglectful than either of them are in the film like there's there was one really interesting moment for me where um she says something to Matilda like oh your dad thinks he's a lot cleverer than he actually yeah. is as you grow up you'll learn to realize that that's true of most men and there's yeah. this kind of like woman a woman confidant mm. kind of thing like and I felt really sorry for Mrs. Wormwood at that point because I've, re- really, I've really got this sense of her as a character who's just very very insecure and has just clung to the things that she's been taught to cling to yeah you know it feels like more of a systemic thing it's like i am a woman therefore my job is to be beautiful and get a man who can look after me yeah and look like you know it's not directly in the book but if we read between the lines a little bit like a husband's a gangster like it's revealed at the end (laughs) like He's in league with, like, really dodgy people. He's buying stolen cars and he's fleeing to Spain. And he's just like, we're leaving now, half an hour, get in the car.
0: Do we feel sorry for Miss Trunchbull? (sighs) I think it's an interesting exercise to try.
1: It's quite... It's made quite clear that Miss Trunchbull has grown up... You know, she's an Olympic athlete. She was, you know, she was a hammer throw athlete. Um... And she's very much into, like, discipline yeah. and training and, like, keeping at best.
0: Yeah. So I listen to um, fellow podcasters, The Villain Next Door. So what, what they do is they pick a villain from children's literature and they try to read them generously. Sure. Um, which is an interesting concept for a podcast. And I listen to their mistrust. That's great. So I'll
1: have to have a listen. You should. It's really That's good. Brilliant.
0: And. um So what they do is they really try hard to, like, empathise with the villain. And then they have an opportunity for, like, a creative response to them. And so they came up with this backstory for Miss Trunchbull of being, like, pushed into athletics when she wasn't really into it. But it's what she was good at. Um And she had this these other ambitions that got, like... So they really lean in on... So it's interesting. So if you imagine what Miss Trunchbull would have been like as a child... I feel like she was a child who would have looked like how I looked as a child, like stocky, muscular, not traditionally feminine and bullied Mm. for it. Right. Like I was Mm. like that. Mm. And that's not an easy woman or girl to be. Those are not easy Mm. traits Mm. to carry as a woman. And Roald Dahl, as the narrator, hates her for it. Right. Like her athleticism and stuff like Mm. makes fun of it. But. Imagine you're that person who's like made sport your whole life and then Mm. sort of you've gone to seed, you've aged out of like your top performance, your peak performance, and now you're teaching kids. I think Tim Minchin's, so we haven't talked about this other adaptation, Tim Minchin's musical adaptation of Matilda gives her a song about this called The Hammer and it's about how she achieved being, It's if you want to throw the hammer for your country, you've got to keep your feet in the circle all the time. It's like, you stick with your training. You stick with what you've been taught. You don't need empathy or self-esteem. You need discipline. Discipline is what made me. And discipline is what I'm giving you. Now, of course, I think she's she, a yeah. terrible abuser. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But she, I think she genuinely believes that the way to teach kids is to beat it in.
0: And I think, I think... Honestly, I think Roald Dahl hates big women. And maybe possibly queer women. I mean, you could definitely read... Miss Trunchbull Mm. is queer, she's older, she's unmarried. You could definitely read her as a butch lesbian or a trans woman, I think. Or both. Yeah, yeah. And those deviations from, you know, traditional femininity, Roald Dahl goes into them with glee. Like, he rips her apart for it. Yes, she's awful because she's an abuser, but also she's awful because she's big and strong. yeah. And ugly, and horse faced, and tall. Um, I mean, I don't think these things prevent the book from being a good book, but it like it's. No. For example, in the play, so in the in the film they cast Pam Ferris as Miss Trunchbull. In the play, she's always played by a man. I don't know mm. how you feel about that. She's sort of like in the ugly sister, man in drag role. Um, and I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't really like pantomimes anyway so i'm not a good person to critique this but the idea that you get men to dress up as women to provide ugly women and like people to laugh at in these stories Mm. seems quite transmisogynistic to me on the other hand it's like giving roles to drag queens which is great um but like why is it funny to cast a man as miss trunchbull
1: Tim Minchin's musical is what ten years ago? Is twenty ten? I think. Yeah. I think even in that time, we've moved quite a long way from men are men and women are women and deviations in that are a source of humour. Yeah. To a greater awareness of like a gender spectrum. I think and also, even in that you've decade, you've got to work with the source you
0: know, material. Like I would say, the source material is transmisogynistic. Yeah. The play you make is going to have to be as well. In a way, whether you cast a woman and give her makeup to make her really ugly and mannish or whether yeah. you cast a man to make her really mannish yeah. you know like
1: let's let's see Miss Trunchbull the one person show <laughs> that's yeah. good actually I might, I, yeah, might, I might do, do that, that. yeah <laughs> but I think I, it is really interesting I've, I definitely want to have a listen to that podcast now when I was in school there was you know, you could barely count on one hand the amount of teachers who clearly didn't like kids. Yeah. Like, I think, it, you know, it happens.
0: Of course, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's why it's so powerful, is most children, through their school career, will meet at least one teacher like this.
1: Everyone, everyone will have a Miss Honey, and everyone will have a Miss yeah. Trunchbull. Yeah. I think, you know, could you could read the book to kids from kind of... 6 or 7 upwards.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um it's really short, surprisingly short the book. You get through it really quickly. Yeah. Um the it's chapters quite short are chapters. generally pretty short as well.
1: It's pretty much one event per chapter, isn't yeah. it?
0: So I would recommend this book to girls. I mean everyone, but especially to girls. And there's this great line where Miss Trunchbull says, "I find um rebellious girls especially hard to squash." Mm. rebellious boys are one thing but the girls that and that's when she goes I'm glad I never was one mm. I think there's definitely some attempts at feminism in it and it's partially successful like um,
1: well it does pass the Bechdel test oh for sure which is you know it,
0: girls and as, women as we've established
1: shouldn't be difficult to do but but kind of <laughs> is it's all difficult but let's celebrate when it does happen
0: yeah yeah, so as you were saying, like six-year-olds and up. Also for early readers, I think I read all of these Roald dolls when I was like you know, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. You know, my reading was just starting to take off.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's good fun. It's easy enough,
0: the language is easy enough. Yeah. It's really fun.
1: And don't be, you know, and obviously we've talked about some pretty dark subjects with this. I, I think that would kind of go over your head for the most part as a kid yeah. that age. I, I don't yeah. think it's a book to avoid giving to your eight-year-olds you know no it's no. It, it, the main thing it's that it's about is superpowers and overcoming reading it as an adult it's crazy dark like yeah it's it's really but this is often the case with children's books yeah 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 it's true it's very true it's it's ruled Doll. it's ruled all doing what he does really well kind mm. of making it up as he goes i think but doing it spectacularly well
0: Okay, so that was episode eight of Even the Trunchbull.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Once again, if you've any thoughts on books you loved as a kid...
1: Or love now as a kid.
0: Let us know, or ask a grown-up to let us know. We're at eventhetrunchbull at gmail.com, or catch us on Twitter at trunchbullpod.
1: Intro music for this episode and every episode is What a Wonderful Day by Shane Ivers.
0: And remember, kids' books can be for everyone, because we've all been kids
1: even the crunch the-